Thank you for downloading the podcast. We believe the Word of God will richly bless you today. Now let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. To the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll teach the Word of God here for about 20, 25 minutes. Hallelujah. I watched that thing on TV, the Bible. I read the book, it's better. I don't like to watch TV shows that make me mad. You say, what do you mean? I watched it the other night and they were so off base. I was like, no, 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 no. That's not what happened. That's not what the word says. Listen, a little Hollywood makeup and some paint doesn't change the word of God. Can I get a better amen than that? It don't change the word. The word is the word. First Corinthians chapter 11. Now, we've, we've kind of bounced around this subject for several months. I'm going to try to focus in on it a little better because there's a couple of things the Lord had spoken to me that we taught on. But that's in receiving from the Lord. That's such a concept in many denominations, in many churches. I mean, uh, I challenge you, go to a denominational friend or a person that believes according to the dictates of most Christian denominations and ask them, how do I as a person get God to give me something? And they'll pretty much tell you, well, that's really not up to you. That's up to God. That's pretty much up to God. Most Christian denominations, most religions relegate God giving something to people on the earth to the sovereignty of God. It's not that God cannot do it like heal someone's body or bless somebody financially or help them financially or deliver somebody from addictions, or whatever it may be. It's not that God cannot do it. Whether He does or does not do that is really has nothing to do with humanity. It only has something to do with deity. That's what most people believe. So if it happens, it really didn't happen by the dictate of men. It happened because of the sovereignty of God. Well, that goes totally against the grain of what faith teaches. Because everyone in the Word of God that came to Jesus by faith, that initiated, you say, what do you mean initiated? They came to him. Remember the woman in Mark chapter 5 with the issue of blood. Blind Bartimaeus in, in Mark chapter 10. They, they literally initiated it. They didn't, they didn't wait on the, quote, sovereignty of God. They didn't, they didn't think, well, you know, I, I'm going to hang out around God. Maybe he might pick me out or something. No, no. They made a decision. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I've heard of Jesus. Therefore, I'm going to do something about my situation by putting a demand upon his power. So that, 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 that leaves us with a question. Do we, as believers, as the children of God, do we have a right to put a demand upon the power of God? Well, absolutely we do. I said absolutely we do. If not, we would live totally in the bondage of the adversary of God, which is Satan. He'd come in and keep us abound. You wouldn't even make it out of your front door. He'd put you in so much fear and so much doubt. You, you, you'd live so paranoid. You wouldn't, be, listen, you wouldn't be able to get up in the morning and go to work. He'd make sure that he so inhibited you through unbelief and fear and doubt that you wouldn't be able to function. So you've got to make a decision in your own heart. There are some things in my life that I need. Everybody say need. need. And want. Because I've heard, oh, that sounds so spiritual. Doesn't? Well, God may take care of one or two of your needs, but he never will. Your wants, now that's selfish. David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Where is it? It's also in the Psalms where it says, and the young lions do suffer hunger and lack, but those that trust the Lord shall want for no good thing. 
There are things I've just wanted that God, I said, well, I'm going to believe you, Lord. I just want it. I believed him and God gave it to me. Amen. So how do we do that? What hinders us? That's the question that began to roll in my spirit last week. What are the major hindrances? What are the major hindrances? Now notice, how'd you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11? Let's look here just for a moment. We know this is most of the, of the teaching the apostle Paul got on the communion table and all that goes on there. It says in verse uh, uh, 28, it says, but let a man examine himself. So let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now notice verse 30. It says, For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. We could say it like this. For this cause, there are many sick people, and for this cause, many people die prematurely. So first of all, he's not talking about the world. He's not talking about people who are not saved. He's not talking about people who do not know Jesus. He's talking about believers. He's talking about us. So he is saying, now listen, let me just say this right up front because I know there's several books out there. Had one on my desk the other day. Everybody's always trying to write books about why Christians go through what they go through. Amen. Why do good people go through bad things? Why do Christians suffer? All that kind of stuff. Let me say this. We're going to stick with the word of God when it comes to that subject, not somebody's negative experience. People... Christians go through things here on the earth for one of several reasons. Number one, we are on the earth. The earth is still under the curse of Adam's fall. Our geographical location makes us subject to the things we go through. Secondly, we've got a mind that's messed up. That's why it must be controlled and renewed by the word of God. We have flesh that's out of control. That's why you've got to present it to Jesus and to the Lord as a living sacrifice. And there is also an enemy of the church and an enemy of humanity called the devil. Satan, Lucifer, he's real. He hates you. The Bible says he comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy. Amen. But now notice, this says, for this cause. So, if you're not receiving from God, there is a cause. Now, people don't want to face that. They want to leave it all over to the sovereignty. Well, I'm just waiting for the answer. I'm waiting for God to do something. Well, really, the ball's really not in God's court. It's in ours. It's really not what is God going to do. He's already done everything he's going to do. He's seated on his throne. Jesus is seated at his right hand. Seated. Seated, which denotes finished activity. Amen. So he's seated at the right hand of the Father. So we're the ones that have to make the changes. We're the ones that have to initiate things. We're the ones that have to believe God. And we're the ones that's got to dig into our own lives and find out, are there any causes? What is the cause? Now, it says here, now notice, let me read the scripture again, verse 29 and verse 30. It says, for he eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So, for the cause of not discerning the Lord's body, it inhibits people from receiving from God. You say, now what do you mean discerning the Lord's body? Well, that's what we're going to get into. Number one, the number one reason why people do not receive from God is a lack of knowledge of the Word of God. What does the Word say? Not what happened to Grandma and Grandpa. Not what happened to Brother So-and-so who wrote the book, Why Nobody Can Get Healed Anymore. Not why this happened to this person or this. What does the Word say? Ignorance of the Word of God will inhibit you from receiving. It can be a cause. Amen. One of the men I studied under for years, he's gone on to be with the Lord, lived a long life. He always said, I'm going to live as long as I'm satisfied. 
And when I'm not satisfied any longer, I'm going to go to heaven. That's exactly what he did at, I believe, age 87 years of age. He, as a young boy, was healed of a, of a, of a heart disease and a blood condition and paralysis. He had no teaching. His preacher came in, patted him on the head, patted him on the hand, said, it won't be long now. Just suffer a little while longer and you'll go to heaven. That's all he got from the preacher. So he dug into the Bible. It took him approximately 18 months of digging and digging and digging and digging into the Word of God based on Mark 11, verses 22, 23, and 24. Totally, on a, the doctor said, you'll never live. No way you can be cured. God healed him. He rose up off the deathbed as an 18-year-old boy, preached 60-something years, and changed the way everybody viewed the subject of faith. Amen? Now, one of the statements he made, he said, in studying the Word of God, laying on the bed of affliction, crying out to the Lord, telling the Lord, I believe you. I believe you're my healer. I believe I'm healed. Why am I still laying here paralyzed? The Lord spoke to him and said, you do believe. But what you believe is not enough to get you out of this bed. You need more information. So that's when he began to dig a little more. And when he got the information he needed, God raised him up. Now here's the thing. God wants you to have sufficient information that relates to your specific problem so that he may release specific provision into your situation. Did you get what I just said? Now, in so doing, the responsibility is upon us to do what? To get into the Word. The Bible says over there in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together, even more so as the days grow evil. That's why we've scheduled more service. That's why we've got Sunday school. That's why we've got DAP classes. That's why we're doing everything to preach the Word, teach the Word, preach the Word, teach the Word, because you need more Word than you think you need. Let me say that again. You need more word than you think you need. People in the body of Christ are starved for the information of the word of God, not the inspiration, but the information of the word of God. Teaching imparts information. Preaching imparts inspiration. But you take the two components together, information and inspiration, and it will produce a demonstration of the ability and the power of God. That's why we need both. The Bible says of Jesus, he went about teaching, preaching, and healing. That's information, inspiration, and demonstration of the Word of God. So what does the Word say about your specific situation? If you've got a physical situation, what does it say? If you've got a financial situation, what does it say? If you've got a bondage situation, if you're bound by something, what does the Word say about your specific situation? Because what the Word says reveals the Word of God and the will of God or His willingness to do something about it. Remember this. The will of God is only established by the Word of God. Now let me say that again. Some of you are kind of looking at me like, oh, okay, okay. No, no, this is a very important point. The will of God is only established by the Word of God. Not the experience of anybody on the planet. Not the experience of somebody who did receive. Not the experience of somebody who did not receive. Not the experience of a previous generation. Not the experience of anybody. It is only the Word of God that establishes the will of God. The Word of God and the will of God are synonymous. That means they are the same. 
We mentioned the scripture. Uh, Matthew chapter 8. A leper came to Jesus. Paraphrasing. Rusty's paraphrase. Basically this. He came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, I know you could heal me if you wanted to. If you wanted to. So what did he do? He put the healing decision back over on Jesus. What did Jesus say? The Bible says he said, I will. Then he touched him. And the Bible says, cleansed him and made him whole. Well, right there establishes the reality. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is what? The same yesterday, today, and forever. Does anybody have a lost loved one? Uncle, aunt, mother, father, dad. You, know, you, don't, want, you don't want them to go to hell, do you? Don't you want them to get saved? You say, but pastor, is there any promise in the Bible? Yeah, over in Acts chapter 16, there was a, there was a, a jailer that had beaten Paul and Silas on the back. And, the, and after they'd done that, the Bible, uh, they prayed and worshiped God at midnight and the jail got shaken. And the jailer ran down and was going to commit suicide, fall on his own sword because he was afraid the prisoners were going to run out. And the Bible says, Paul said, don't do that. Don't do yourself any harm because we're all still here in the prison. We've none of us left. And then the jailer said, what must I do to be saved? He said, come and I'm going to tell you and you and your household shall be saved. And if God would promise a Philippian jailer his household to be saved, the same promise is true for you. The Bible says all the promises of God are in him, yea, and in him, amen, to the glory of God by us. My favorite translation of that scripture goes like this. All the promises that God has given Find their completion and their so be it in the person of Jesus. So that we through him might manifest his glory as we receive those promises. The will of God for salvation. Peter said God is not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to the knowledge of salvation. Does that mean everybody gets saved? No, that means we're going to preach to everybody and give everybody the opportunity to make a choice. Amen. Thank God that we do have that choice. Now, when it comes to your specific situation, you've got to do a little digging. You've got to come. You've got to be taught the word. The Bible says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The number one way you receive faith is through teaching and preaching. You say, well, I'm just going to get it on my own through the word. You can get faith by study and the wor study of the word of God on your own. But the primary way to get faith is to have it taught to you by the anointing through a gift from God. You say, what do you mean a gift from God? The Bible talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, the prophet, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. Jesus gave those into the church so that they could teach and preach the word of God through a gifting. That's why you don't get, you don't get near as much out of me talking to me or counseling with me in my office as you do from me in the pulpit. When I attended Lakewood Church back in the early 80s, you know, that was a church of 5,000 people. Brother Osteen basically wouldn't counsel anybody. He cut all counsel. Now, we do. We counsel people. We counsel people before they get married. We counsel people sometimes when it comes to business and other things. We've not closed our door to counseling. But this is what Brother Osteen said. I thought it was very interesting. He said, most people need counseling because they've not been coming to counseling. Everybody kind of looked at him like, huh? Most people need counseling because they have not been. He says, here's the deal. He says, I counsel, he says, I schedule three counseling sessions a week. Sunday morning at 1030, Sunday night at 7, and Wednesday night at 730. And he says, your problem is, is you've been missing your counseling sessions. 
And so some people think, if I can just have a special time with the pastor, if I can just have 30 minutes or an hour and sit with the pastor in his office, it's going to make everything better. It's really not. That's really not the best way of communication between your pastor and yourself. Your best communication is with me up here teaching and preaching with the anointing of God and the message that God has spoken to me to teach and preach you with me feeding you the word of God because that's the mandate of the pastor to feed the flock of God, the word of God, because in so doing, my voice... There's a voice within my voice and your spiritual ear opens more to that voice than it does to my personal voice. Mm, That was a good rabbit trail. Amen. Amen. So, number one, lack of information, lack of knowledge. Now, number two, this one here. Boy, this this is a tough one here. If you've ever sat under teaching that's contrary to what I'm teaching you. Uh, We were with... uh, Pentecostal Church of God, which is a denomination kind of like the Assemblies of God. And uh, they had me in their state convention, when was it, two weeks ago. Had me scheduled for one, one service at 9 o'clock on, on Saturday morning. And I finished that service at about 11.30 and was walking out the door. And they're like, no, 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 you got to come do it. Please come do one more. I had to drive. I was on my way to Shreveport to go preach for Brother Sam Carr. And they were like, please, just do, just please, just do one more. Now, The presbyter of the Pentecostal Church of God denomination is a man named Bob Jane. Bob Jane used to pastor in Aransas Pass, Texas, Temple of Praise Church. Uh, uh, His son, Aaron, pastors that church now. Years ago, in 1989, 90, 91, he came to a camp meeting in Corpus Christi that I used to preach in every year. Then he asked me to come to his church and hold a revival, Sunday morning through Wednesday night revival. Well, I prayed about it. The Lord said, go. So we went and did it. So I got up and basically just taught the most basic lessons on faith you've ever heard. You got to believe in your heart. You got to confess with your mouth. You just got to get into the word of God. Just the basic things of the word of God. We went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Man, we saw God move. I believe Sunday night, Tuesday night, saw real good moves of the Holy Ghost. There were people saved, people delivered, people filled with the spirit. Wednesday night after the service. Not after the service, the end of the service. He's getting up. I've turned it over to him. Brother Bob Jane gets up, gets in his pulpit. His church had at that time maybe 200, 300 people that were there on that Wednesday night. He said this to his church. He said, for years I have preached against what this man taught all week long. He said, but now we're not going to believe that anymore. We're going to believe what he preaches. Well, within six months, the church was totally out of debt. Within two years, the church doubled numerically. Within about five years, it doubled again. Then they purchased land. Now they're believing God to build a big regional worship center out there and do all kinds. You say, why? Because they changed what they believed. Amen? They changed. I'll never forget the first thing John Osteen told us as Bible school students in 1984. When I walked in there and sat down, he stood behind the pulpit. He said, the first thing I'm going to tell you as your teacher is this. I reserve to change my, I reserve the right to change my doctrine at any time. Now, how many preachers would say that? And he taught us in Bible school. We are not the guardians of doctrine. We are the proclaimers of the good news. We are the helpers of hurting people. And if our doctrine inhibits us from helping hurting people, we need to change our doctrine. So much has been taught against the miraculous, against God's healing power. One of the number, what is the number one doctrine that many churches teach against? Baptism and the Holy Ghost. 
with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Don't get around them tongue talkers. Don't get around them people that speak in other tongues. Listen, every book in the New Testament was written by a tongue-talking Christian. Every legitimate move of God. I'll take that a step further. Every denomination, Catholic, Baptist, Episcopalian, Methodist, you name it, Lutheran, Every denomination started, you trace its history back, started with an individual getting revelation from the Word of God and being baptized in the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues. You go study the history of the church, you'll find the Lutherans speaking in tongues. You'll find the Methodists. Man, the Methodists under John and George Wesley, man, they were tongue-talking, devil-casting-out, holy-living people. The Baptists were the same way. There was a Baptist guy up in Dallas back at the turn of the century that had tremendous healings in his church all the time. So why did they get away from that? That's what religion, that's what denominational relation does. It gets away. It tries to control. It puts its hands on what God does. And when that happens, God backs away from it. They quit proclaiming. Well, we believe God for Miss so-and-so to get healed, and she didn't get healed. That must mean God doesn't. No, you cannot go there. You've got literally... In the United States of America, because there's been so much negative teaching against the miraculous, you have to unteach people before you teach them. People get mad when they get up and say, Oh man, what I used to believe and what I used to, people used to tell me, you mean that's not true? Well, if they tell you that God doesn't heal, if they say that God doesn't save, there are denominations today that don't even believe in the new birth. Can I get a better amen than that? They believe you need to come through Mary or go to a pope or light a candle or wave a feather or do something. No, no. There's not but one name given among men by where we must be saved, and that is through Jesus Christ. And there are whole denominations that have reversed their theology when it comes to the new birth and put it over to works. You need to be good enough. How are you going to be good enough? And let me ask you a question. If your goodness can get you into heaven, then why in the world did Jesus need to come and suffer like he did? Why did he need to give up heaven? Why did he, because he can't, you can't be good enough. Jesus didn't come to make good people bad. Excuse me, to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Amen. So you've got to examine your, there could be some little something in your mind. Put in you in a Sunday school class. Friend of mine, uh, uh, preached for him for years. Good faith man, got people healed for years. His mother was dying of cancer. She was raised up in a certain denomination. So he was, man, it was his mother. So he was there ministering to her. Open the word of God. He took the scriptures. He went through all the healing scriptures. He gave her testimonies of people in his own church that had been healed. He read other testimonies out of other books, tried to do everything to do to get her informed and inspired to receive healing. He told me this personally, sitting in his office. He says, as she laid there dying, he looked up at her and said, you know, that's probably all true. But you know, there's still some things in my life that I believe I need to atone for. And this is how I'm atoning for it. By suffering and dying with this cancer. What garbage. 
Well, he watched his mom die because she held on to some little something that had unbelief in it and that destroyed. You say, is unbelief that powerful? Unbelief stopped Jesus from doing mighty miracles in his own town. The Bible says he could do no mighty miracles because of their unbelief. And this guy that was going around raising the dead, healing the sick, opening blind eyes, doing all kinds of miracles, signs, and wonders. The Bible says all he could do in his own hometown was lay his hands on a few sick folk with mighty minor ailments and it says he marveled at their unbelief I mean our biggest devil we fight here in the United States is the demon of unbelief man I've been in the jungles of Honduras I've been down in Nicaragua I've been over in the Philippine Islands I've been over in Europe and some of the countries over there where they've never heard the word of God talk. man you start teaching the word and they start man they just start getting healed set free delivered the power of God they have nothing in them that inhibits them from receiving from God so when it comes to you not receiving, ask yourself. And I'm going to tell you some of the worst old dead doctrine in the world. Some of this old dead Pentecostal doctrine. Amen. Amen. Some of it has its basis in, well, you know, women shouldn't cut their hair. And you shouldn't wear any gold. You shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. I heard a testimony of a minister who cast a demon. A demon got into this woman's soul and it tormented her for years and years. She lived under a bridge, carried a Bible in a little sack. They got the devil cast out of her. Asked her, what in the world happened to you? She said, I cut my hair, went to church. My pastor told me I was on my way to hell. Said the devil tormented me for years until she lost her mind. Well, that's crazy. But I want you to know, unbelief, I don't care who preaches it. I don't care how pretty the building is. I don't care how fancy the communication system that they have that preaches it. Unbelief is as deadly as deadly can be. If I had a 55-gallon drum, say we, say we searched worldwide, and we found the purest, cleanest water there was. Nothing more, not a germ in it. No bacteria whatsoever. This is it. This is the purest, cleanest water. So I've got a 55-gallon drum of it right here. So we're all going to take a drink, all right? Everybody's going to get to come up and get a drink of the purest water there is. But before we do, I've got an eyedropper. And I've got one drop of mercury. Let me know what mercury is. You know, the stuff in the thermometers? i got one drop of mercury. So I'm going to take one drop of mercury. And drop it in that 55-gallon drum. How many want to drink of it now? Not one of us do. You just say, why? That little bit of poison. That little bit of poison. That little bit of poison ruins the entire barrel. You can hang on to some little bit of doctrine. Some little old something that doesn't mount to a hill of beans. Somebody's little old idea. Somebody's little old prophecy they thought God was speaking. Some little old something and you hang on to it and hang on to it. And it becomes the mercury that poisons all the pure water of the word of God that tries to come into your life. For this cause. That's not discerning the body of Christ. That's not discerning. Listen, God, we, we studied it this morning when we studied Jesus. God is good. He don't want to punish nobody. He won't hurt nobody. He's not the source of sickness and disease. I've always said it like this. If you say God gave you cancer, where did he get it? He'd have to steal it from the devil because he doesn't have it and he's not a thief. 
No, the Bible says it's the thief that cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that you might have life. He loves you so much, he wants you to have the same kind of life, the same quality of life that he himself has. And listen, when you play around with people that mess with these doctrines and, well, we never know and this and that, and they're not sure about this, you better be careful because you could be fighting for your life one day. And you want somebody going to speak the truth of the word of God to you because unbelief is an absolute poison that will inhibit you from receiving the word of God. And what's amazing is this. I'll close with this. Your spirit man reaches out and grabs the truth like a magnet. But your mind, your mind will reach out and grab unbelief because most unbelief is based in reason. Let me help you how to identify unbelief. Three words. That makes sense. That makes sense. Let me tell you what make, well, let me tell you what doesn't make sense. Just believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. Amen. And you'll be saved. Lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. Give and it shall be given back to you. Good measure. Press down, shake it. That does, that doesn't compute with the reason in mind. But the reason mind will reach up and grab unbelief and make it doctrine. Good, that was a good sensible service. That was a good sensible message. Well, he's finally got his feet on the ground. He's probably full of unbelief is what he is. Because it doesn't make sense. When you really dig into this book, which is supernatural, which is from the spirit realm, which is the light and the life of God. When you dig into it and your spirit man begins to just eat it up, your mind's going to say, that don't make sense. That don't make sense. You mean I'm going to give 10% of the money? That don't make sense. You mean all that guy got to do is lay hands on me? That don't make sense. You mean I'm supposed to speak with a language I don't even understand? That don't make sense. Man, now you found some faith. Now you've got some faith working on the inside of you. And when you get some faith working on the inside of you and you begin to see the manifestations of it in your life, you can tell your brain, shut up. It doesn't matter if it makes sense to me or not. I'm going to receive it in Jesus' name because it belongs to me. Amen. Hallelujah. Lift your hands up. My time is up. Father, we bless your name tonight. The most least likely person to ever receive on the level that he received on was the Apostle Paul. As Saul of Tarsus, he was indoctrinated, he was theological, he was, he was intellectual. The Bible says he probably, I'm not the Bible, but the theologian said he probably spoke 32 languages. He's a smart guy, man. He was educated. There's nothing wrong with education. But God took him and revealed unto him Jesus that went totally contrary to everything that was in his mind. And he had to literally deliver himself of his mindset to receive to, into his spirit what God had for him. And he did it. And if he did it, we can do it too. I said, if he did it, we can do it too. That's why most denominations in their theological seminaries. Now, you go, if you don't believe me, go check up on this yourself. You go check up on most denominations in their theological seminaries. They will not teach the letters that Paul wrote to the church. You know why? They ain't got a clue. They don't have a clue what they mean. They have no clue whatsoever. Then you come to Island Church and some guy that just hung out on the beach prayed in the Holy Ghost and studied the Bible get up and just teach it. Line upon line. Priest upon priest. How does that happen? Because it's only revealed by the Spirit of God. It's not taught in a, in a seminary. That's why they, they say one, 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 I know one particular denomination they said this. We are so frustrated by 
the letters that Paul wrote to the church that we wish when they translated the King James Bible, we wish they would have taken that out of the canon of Scripture because those letters so frustrate us. I love them. Amen. I like Ephesians. I like Galatians. I like 1st and 2nd Corinthians. I like 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. 1st and 2nd Timothy. I love Hebrews. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto our fathers by the prophets, having these last days spoken unto us by His Son. Glory to God. Whom He hath appointed, heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds. People are like, I don't like that. That doesn't make sense to me. Thank God it doesn't make sense. That means it doesn't come from Adam's world. It comes from God's world. Amen. Stand on your feet. Thank you for joining us today. We trust you enjoyed the podcast. We extend an invitation to you. Come join us in one of our services. Sunday morning, 1045. Tuesday prayer, 730. Thursday evening, midweek service, 730. We are located 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. See you there.